Hello and welcome to Exploring Axon, a podcast where we discuss Axon and its ecosystem. I am your host and Axonic developer advocate, Sarah Tori. In our second episode, I will be looking more closely into some of the architectural concepts such as domain-driven design, CQRS, event sourcing, and microservices in context with Axon Framework. To do that, I decided to speak with Axon Framework's lead developer, Stephen Van Bielen. Stephen has been with Axonic since the very beginning, so he has an extensive amount of knowledge on the design and structure of this framework. He's also very involved in educating the community on how to use Axon Framework. He was very kind enough also to share with me some of his memories of college years and early on in his career. That might be beneficial for some of you who are listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Let's have a listen. Hi, Stephen. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Sarah. I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. I, uh, I trust you're doing well as well. I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today. I have so much to talk to you about. And today I want to focus more on uh, broader topics. Um, and uh, I will go into a little bit of uh, uh, detailed stuff at a later time. Sure. But um, I wanted to share with you, I actually um, didn't exactly meet you, but I knew of you before I actually met you. Oh, <laughs> I watched some of the uh, tutorial videos that uh, you had posted on um, uh, our YouTube channel. The uh, And if I remember them correctly, they were the uh, Axon Quick Start Guides. I think there were five or six videos that I watched when I, when I uh, started sort of... Um, finding out more about uh, DDD and Axon Framework particularly. And those were really helpful because they were short little videos. I think they were like 10, 15 minutes each. And they really highlighted the uh, the main topics of uh, what we were trying to do when starting an application using Axon. So that was that was really helpful. And then, of course, I did, I think, two or three Fastlane trainings with you. Yes, I so, believe you did. Yes. <laughs> which was really good. And then I got to actually meet you at work, which, which is awesome. So yes, you definitely um, are one of my role models in the world of uh, DDD and uh, that's uh, uh, that, that feels like yeah. too, too big an honor, but but thank you, <laughs> no. thank you. It's true, it's true. So um, anyhow, um, no, thank you. Those uh, those are really helpful information to have out there and um, to have them be able to access it, you know, for free for everybody and just so readily available. So that's great. Um, so I'm going to focus a little bit on the uh, architectural concepts today. Um, mm -hmm. We normally talk about uh, domain-driven design, CQRS, event sourcing, microservices, but um, there might be some uh, people out there who may not really be uh, familiar with these terms. So I'd like to uh, highlight those a little bit. And then um, also uh, to talk a little bit about the specifics of Axon Framework uh, that go along with these concepts that we we're talking about, because um, I know that's the reason Axon Framework was built. Um, it's built on the concept of uh, domain-driven design and event sourcing. So um, if we, you know, if we can uh, go into those topics and you don't have to, you know, go all the way into uh, details, but just kind of uh, make me familiar a little bit with uh, with uh, what we are uh, trying to do with uh, with domain-driven design, for instance, or events. That, or that sounds like a like a great plan to to get oh, everybody on the same page, right? Perfect. That's definitely one of the intentions we have with yeah. things like like the blogs we do mm -hmm. and, and the trainings and such. And uh, yeah, it's, it's good to have this in, a, in an audio format as well. Perfect. Sure. Uh, but before we do that, uh, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your background, education, what kind of languages you worked on and um, before Axon maybe, and then once you got to... Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, 
to 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 be completely honest with you, there's not that much before Axon when I started work. Yeah. <laughs> to be completely fair with you, that's okay. No, yeah. Um, Sometimes you find I, your home uh, early, which is good. Yeah, exactly. This is just I, I landed up quite early in it, and and yeah, it just stuck for for some reason. It just worked for me. Yeah. Now, um, I'm uh, I'm born and raised in the Netherlands, so my my primary language is Dutch. Although I understand you're asking programming language, might be interesting for others. <laughs> yes, to know. definitely. I'm in the Netherlands. Uh, luckily, I'm pretty proficient in English, uh, if I may say so myself. You absolutely. Are, so uh, yeah. doing stuff like this and. Uh, yeah, works out pretty fine. Um, yeah, I, I went to university here in uh, in Amsterdam. Uh, not living in Amsterdam though, close by, mm-hmm. uh, where where my specialization in the matter was really going for distributed systems, mm-hmm. uh, mainly because that had the majority of programming in it, and I really liked the programming parts yeah. of of, uh, of university. So I, I just went for that, and I really, yeah, just really liked it. Uh, after that, I was really I wasn't too sure what to to do work wise i didn't have a clue where to go for um, because one thing they didn't really prepare me for in university at least that's that's how it is in the netherlands yeah. is usually the working is, life yes yeah. i didn't have a clue where to start or what mm-hmm. to do at all so you you go up to one of those uh people i nowadays detest mm-hmm. uh, the, the the recruiters and such just asking well do you can you fix something for me yeah, well, he did, obviously, because yeah. that's his job. Uh, one of the, the things which struck me most, one of the companies which I liked most was uh, Trifork uh, mm-hmm. at that point in the day. Yeah. I really, it, it felt like a nice place to call home and to work for and yeah. the majority of nice projects they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought I wouldn't be good enough, to be honest. Uh, but uh, well, apparently uh, I became it still because uh, they hired me. Yeah. Uh, and after short period or so uh, I started my first project together with Allard mm-hmm. so uh, he he took me under his wing so to say and uh, we started a new uh, uh, brand new Axon uh, project at a, at a certain client which uh, I'm not sure I can name so I won't yeah. Um, yeah there it all started that was about eight years ago now I think mm-hmm. wow something okay. like that yeah and and from there uh, I it just it just felt very natural to make software in that way you know you, you must realize that i came from a from a, an empty background so to say you only have your university behind you and you sure. haven't learned other ways of making software mm-hmm. so you start off with this is how you build things through yeah. ddd and CRS and event sourcing and then it all makes a lot of sense right. uh, because that's that's the way you do it mm-hmm. <laughs> that's exactly. how it feels for me at least yeah. uh so yeah i, I uh, I did that for a long period of time uh, through Trifork. And then uh, when we became a spin-off, uh, Exonic, I just, they asked me whether I wanted to join from mm-hmm. the beginning. I was, yeah. hell yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't I? <laughs> exactly. I, I love this stuff. This this is how you should be doing things. Yeah. I, uh, you know, so uh, yeah, I, jo- I joined and uh, now I've been uh, a happy uh, participant of uh, Exonic for, from the start. So uh, a bit over three years now, three years in a week to be exact at this date. Nice. Um, and for, for Exonic, I've uh, eventually became the Exxon Framework uh, lead developer, mm-hmm. uh, meaning is. I'm doing a lot around building Exxon Framework, helping people out using yeah, it, yeah. Uh, fixing all the issues, uh, talking with people about it, doing the trainings, mm-hmm. those short videos as well, just getting getting the message across, I'd yeah. say. So no. I have a question for you that's not related to um, DDD or uh, or Axon. Um, 
you mentioned that uh, in university you uh, you became more interested in uh, programming. Did yeah. you know back then that Java was the programming language that you uh, wanted to pursue, or were you interested in other languages, frameworks, and things like that? That's one of the questions that comes up a lot with the uh, new developers and especially mm-hmm. in the community. Uh, individuals who want to uh, study uh, programming on their own without participating in university or perhaps even um, boot camps. So I think yeah. that might be useful information for them. Of course, that, that makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I mainly leaned upon what the, our, our professors thought was most sensible. Mm-hmm. So the main programming uh, courses were in Java. Right. Uh, we did have others where we did things like Python and, and more functional things like Haskell and uh, OCaml, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we also did C, C Sharp, all that those things came along, but the majority of it was in Java. Uh, and well, I figured when I was done, um, okay, I need to start somewhere. Uh, I, I know I like programming a lot. Uh, which of the, the, the languages did I use most? Well, that was Java. Yeah. So that's essentially where I went for. I do know that uh, after I was done with university there, mm-hmm. they shifted a lot of the courses for the less heavily focused computer science people to I Python. See. Okay. So if you're not from a, if your background is not fully computer science yet, it might be nice to start with something like Python because yeah. it's a bit nicer to you than Java can be. A little bit user friendly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, granted, they, they taught us to use Java without tools like an IDE at all. So yeah. you just, yeah. which is, <laughs> I, I had, exams on paper. I'm not sure whether that's normal, but coding on paper, uh, I, I, I wouldn't recommend you mentioned it. that because I, I did a lot of, when I was uh, taking a couple of Java courses online, I did a lot of uh, note taking on paper. So I completely understand that. And I am a note taker, so that, that may not work for everybody. But for me, when I write something down um, on paper with my own hands, instead of typing, uh, it helps me remember that information and retain that. Um, That's true. Uh, whatever I'm, I'm, I'm learning. So that that you know, I, I, I completely can relate to, but it may not work for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I think I think it did the trick because mm-hmm. they were very very harsh on pointing. So if you forgot mm-hmm. uh, uh, to close an accolade, for example, or, yeah. that was a half a point. You know, <laughs> exactly. this is not working code. You failed. Which, <laughs> well, they're right, but this is not what you're accustomed to when you're a programmer. Right, exactly. When, when you're actually using that stuff, you it tells you, hey, you, you miss this and you miss that. You can focus on the, the logical thing of it. Especially so, if you're working with an ID, it, it kind of fixes it for you, right? Exactly. <laughs> nice. uh, but but uh, at the time, I was very put off by it. Uh, mm. But yeah, as you grow older, you do it more. I think it made sense, actually, yeah. because it really pushed it in you, right? And that's, exactly. I think that's the intent of stuff like yeah. that, just repeating and this feeling really the pain, so to say. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, this is really fascinating stuff. I, I definitely want to come back to it and, and have a, a deeper conversation with you in, uh, at another time. But uh, yeah, so just uh, to go back to sort of like loop back to where we started. Um, sure. Can you tell me about domain driven design? That's one of those concepts that when I started learning about it, it was very abstract to me. I couldn't yes. exactly wrap my head around it. Yeah. To be 100% honest with you, when I started with Axon, this was also 
I started that project, right? And Allard mm -hmm. said, well, here's the reference guide, Axon 2.0 at the time. It was just 2. Point something. So, uh, and I was reading up on all that stuff and it was, yeah, you're pretty new to it. And especially mm -hmm. DDD felt kind of, all right, I get a feel for it, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure what you told it, but I'm going to rehearse it anyhow. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so Axon Framework really helps you with those building blocks, right? Mm -hmm. Doing DDD and doing secrets and doing mm -hmm. event sourcing. It really provides you the means to focus on the business functionality even more. Mm -hmm. And this is also, if you think about what DDD tries to focus on, is that you you model your, your problem space based on your domain very specifically, and that's what you're focused on. So the primary focus is on the core domain, so to say, of yes. the piece of software. You and I'm building. glad you mentioned that because domain in this uh, particular uh, topic is actually talking about the business domain, right? We're talking about what we're trying to achieve from uh, whatever application we're making in order to serve the business itself, the business side of things. Yes, right? that's yeah. Mm -hmm. That is how you should view it. That's typically what you 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 move towards. That you focus on what's really needed, and that's how you model your things. So, right. if you would be thinking about uh, if you're a bank, for example, mm -hmm. well, within a bank, you can even think about that. That would be a very broad domain because a bank sure. entails a lot of things. Like you, you have loans, you have credit cards, you have savings accounts, and all those things could be a well, in real life, they're departments on their own anyhow for exactly. a bank. Right, so right. Uh, those can be subdomains or entire domains as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when you're thinking about doing DDD for any of those things, you would focus on the exact thing you're doing. So if you're a if you're a banking application and you're you're there for um, for credit card logic, then you would have a thing called a credit card. Very likely being a very core concept of your domain. Right. An example I, I use a lot during trainings um, when, when we're going into the things when it comes to modeling uh, your domain, so to say, so the components right. you need for this. Mm -hmm. I, I take the example for a car a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I'm jumping the gun maybe a little bit, but <laughs> one of the core things when you're doing DDD is that you conceive uh, an aggregate. And an aggregate is a group of associated objects, entities, Entity. actually, mm -hmm. uh, which in conjunction with one another act as a single unit to data changes. So right. if you're doing a thing on an aggregate, all the operations intermittently in it, all mm -hmm. those entities will change as a atomic operation, or that's the intent of those. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another notion that you have an external reference to that object, a single point where you can access it and you can handle it. And there are consistency rules. That's really right. the small grouping of it yeah. and all three of those map very well to what a what a vehicle or what a car is i think because right, right. if you think about what a car is it's a group of objects which belong to one another you have mm -hmm. doors you have windows you have a steering wheel you have an engine and you can think of those apart from the car but they don't make a lot of sense you think about them i, I need them grouped together as a car right. Because within the notion of that car, I expect certain things to be consistent with one another. If I exactly. turn the engine, I expect my engine to start. Mm -hmm. Or when I turn the steering wheel, I expect my wheels to go that yeah. direction yeah. as well. So you could conceive thinking about a car as a, as a, as a domain model might be weird in some scenarios. But <laughs> if you're thinking of it as if you're a user of a car, mm -hmm. might might map nicer if you're thinking about video games. If you would be... Uh, creating a, a, a playable character which can sit in a car and you want that 
character to interact with the car, mm -hmm. then you would have a thing called a car. Right. Of, because that's part of your domain, which is dealing with. Exactly. And in that uh, sense that you mentioned the, the car, for instance, we um, I think it's worth mentioning that a lot of times uh, domains can change as well. It just depends on what your uh, what your problem is that you're trying to solve, correct? So for instance, someone might say, uh, well, for me, the car as a whole might be a domain that I'm trying to, to uh, solve whatever problem uh, with, with the specific car. For instance, I'm trying to have the whole car to be the model so that you have to have all the parts of the car. Uh, another person might say, well, if you're looking at it in more detail, uh, maybe the engine of the car itself can be the, mo uh, the domain. So it really depends on what kind of problem we're trying to solve. Um, correct? Am I, am I understanding? No, you're, you're, you're on the right page here. Mm -hmm. So it, it can, those concepts uh, can mean different things in different domains, essentially. Mm -hmm. So what a car is to me, how I just explained it, uh, is what comes up to mind for me first when I'm thinking about the concept. But right. for somebody else, a car might be have other important things, other important aspects, mm -hmm. which you need likely to solve your problem space. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned the uh, the aggregate because that's one of the things that um, you can easily use with Axon Framework because we're, we're creating this framework to really make it easier for, for us to be able to map this domain a little bit uh, better and more mm -hmm. organized, correct? So then yes. um, sort of shifting gears a little bit, uh, can you tell me a little bit about CQRS? Because um, now we're talking about the big model now we're uh, sort of trying to break that model down a little bit. So where does CQRS come in and what is CQRS? Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> uh, well, well, firstly, CQRS stands for the Command Query Responsibility Segregation. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a very nice segue that we first start about DDD and then go to this because what's uh it's not really a downside, but if you're just doing pure DDD, your model can become pretty, pretty big because yes. you might have a pretty complex uh, domain space, exactly. which, well, that, that makes sense uh, because you might have a lot of concepts which are very important, which interact with one another, and you need to deal with those in conjunction. But as, as you are going to focus on your model, you'll notice that certain portions are more tailored towards the things you want to do, the actions you want to take, uh, the operations, and, and then other parts are really that you're interested in information you need uh, to get things done. Right. Um, and the idea of CQRS of segregating a dedicated, you're essentially segregating your main model into several distinct types of models, one being your command model and the other one being the query model. So really focusing on the command model focusing on handling operations so right. it will get the actions you want to do in the system mm -hmm. and it's tailored towards those making it so that those actions would be consistent and that mm -hmm. those do not can uh, cannot occur concurrently for example that you focus on guarding that consistency boundary when it comes to the things the business decisions you want to make right. Those query models are really there to surface the information as clients need it and they can mm -hmm. focus on that and because you segregate your main domain model into s segregated types of models, right. you can focus on those non-functional requirements. Mm -hmm. So maybe you have a, a stock trading uh, application, meaning that a lot of people would perform operations that they want to buy or sell. Sure. 
that's the main focus of this application, mm -hmm. buying and selling. Right. So a lot of actions are going through the system. If you would have a single model used for handling those actions and doing those queries, well, you need to optimize it for actions. So it will not be performant for queries ever because that's not what it's built for. Right. So if you segregate that, having a dedicated command model, so the action those part becomes the command model, right? Yes. So yes. the action is yeah. the command, and then the query is the information that you're giving it and you're receiving from it. Yes, Very exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's really yeah pulling apart your domain into the model into the dedicated models, um, just so that you can focus on these uh, non-functional requirements you might have. And with the framework, uh, what are the, can you give me a couple of specifics, for instance, like in the, um, the way that uh, the framework is annotated, what kind yeah. of those annotations can we use to separate between the commands and the queries, for instance? Gotcha, yes. Um, well, in essence, um, these models, um, so focusing on the command and the query model, yeah. those are things you would build yourself because this contains the logic of your application. On the command model side of things, you very likely have this notion of, a, of an aggregate I was just explaining. Yes. It's not always a necessity, but you mm -hmm. see this lots of times. Yeah. So you'd have a, the command model somewhat mirroring the aggregate. There are different, we can go deeper into this, would be nice for a different topic, I think. Different time, yes. Let's assume that's that's what we have. Um, there is a dedicated, in Axon Framework, there's a dedicated package helping you to perform this modeling exercise. So right. there's a notion that you can create an aggregate for which we have indeed used a dedicated annotation so that mm -hmm. you can say, okay, this class, the car, for example, this piece yes. of Java code right. is uh, is my aggregate. And you annotate it as such. Well, okay. Then you have your model. That's that's fine. Um, but you need to be specific that your command model can handle commands. Right. It needs to handle the operations you want to do. Sure. So you need to have dedicated methods for this to perform these operations. Mm -hmm. And to tell the framework that those methods are actual command handlers, you would just simply use a, an annotation for this, the add command handler annotation. Yeah. yeah, but but by by adding that annotation, you would uh, tell the framework, okay, this function is capable of handling this type of command. Right. So if somebody sends this command over the wire, then it will go up to that command handler. Mm -hmm. There's a similar thing of this for for query handlers as well yes. with the query model. Um, we do not have a similar thing as the add aggregate annotation or the aggregate model for the command model side of things right. because when you're thinking about CRS, typically the query models, you should be free to use whichever type of database you want to use under the covers, under the hoods. And, I'm and glad there you are that so up. many options out there, right? right yeah. So providing an out-of-the-box solution for every query model, it would be nice to have something like that one right. day in framework uh, that might very well be a, an Axon 5 or 6 thing, who knows. But Axon, it's a, a, the framework itself uh, basically... Uh, supports both a relational database as well as a NoSQL beta, uh, database, correct? correct. So you yes. you you have, as you mentioned, you have the freedom to basically use whatever you're having. So, for instance, yes. if somebody wants to use, um, say, MongoDB, they can easily use it. If somebody wants perfectly to use fine. SQL, they can yes, use it. Yes, perfectly fine. But you can also think uh, from the query perspective, if you want to do a text-based search. For example, yes. if you just want to, like, like you would have a Google experience uh, right. by, by using your own Elasticsearch, mm -hmm. you can just use this and handle the things which are occurring. It might be 
a nice thing to segue into. Uh, if, if I'm stealing the, the explanation, you oh, should, do, should yes, just uh, take yeah, the yeah, baton uh, back, right? But um, an important uh, thing when you're doing the CQRS is that we are now really thinking about dedicated models, right? With the commands right. and the queries. Mm -hmm. So you could view this as having dedicated types of messages as well right. because you have a place where you send a command operation you can make this a message so command message similarly for a query message now there's one thing when you're doing secrets which is also very important you have these two models and a command model is making decisions right. this is where your operation resides and it decides whether it's okay to perform that operation mm -hmm. now once that decision has been made it might need to update itself okay. but it also needs to update the query models so you need to synchronize these two. You have okay. segregated them one from one another, but they need to be synchronized. So how do um, we do that? Yeah. Yeah, right. This is where I want to end up in. Um, well, essentially there, are, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> essentially, there would be several options to doing this, okay. but the most reasonable, that's what we're focusing on from framework's perspective as well right. is by using dedicated events for this. Oh, okay. So you can view this as a command going through the system. It will end up in your command model. Mm -hmm. It would make a decision. Right. And once the decision has been made, it would factualize that. It would publish an event saying this has happened. Yes. And this very nicely captures making a decision because mm -hmm. an event is something which has happened. It's history. So, that's why I like to use factualizing as well, because it's, it's set in stone, right? It occurred. Yeah. You need to take that event into account. That event would then be used to update your command model if right. necessary, but it would also go over the wire to whatever query models you have so mm -hmm. that they can be updated, so that they yeah. are aware of the decisions which has been made too. And I'm glad that you mentioned the uh, notion of history, because with the, for instance, the annotation that we use for uh, event handler, um, everything that goes under it, it has to be in past tense, correct? Uh, am I remembering that correctly from the from the framework? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's correct. You want to be very specific that your events resemble past tense things. Mm -hmm. uh, a command really is, I want to do this, right? right. Exactly. Do this. Yes. Uh, so you would mm -hmm. describe them as such. Uh, whilst if it's an event, it's something has happened. Exactly. So describe them as such. Mm -hmm. Give the the class name to resemble uh, the thing which has happened. Okay. And I think that's yeah. kind of uh, brings us into the event sourcing, right? That's that's what we're yeah, talking about where we really say uh, event sourcing is when we can really document all of these events that happened in the past so that we have a really clear idea of what is happening. So can you go a little bit deeper into that for me? Yeah, sure, sure. So um, it, it, it's a segue into this synchronization logic when you're, mm -hmm having a distinct, um, if, if we take our car example, uh, let's go back to that. So I was explaining the car as being an aggregate mm -hmm. from the, when we were talking about DDD, uh, when we're doing CQRS, you would have a car in your command model and you would have likely a notion of a car in your query model. The one in, in your command model is really to saying, okay, I want to turn on the engine. That's what right. the car command model would use. Mm -hmm. And it would say, engine turned on, for example, that event would be published. Now, mm -hmm. this would go into the query model so that it can update himself pretty fine. Mm -hmm. um, but some of these things you would handle in your command model, um, you need to change your own state as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, we're already publishing events and we can use these events to as our main means of storage, essentially, because you want to share it with everybody. So 
if we are certain that all our models, so not only our query model, which is already built up of events, but if also our command model is built up out of events, we're certain that we have a single source of truth for both our types of models, for right. all the things we create. So if we are certain that all our events are always there and reachable and set in stone so that they represent what has actually happened, yes. we are uh, we are certain that everything's going to be as we expect it to be, that nothing, consistent, uh, yeah. nothing inconsistent might occur. Mm -hmm. So uh, formally, when you're really describing two distinct models with CQRS, you could just store your command model as is. That's a choice you have. Mm -hmm. But what we're going into when we're doing event sourcing is instead of uh, serializing this thing and storing it into a database, right. we're using all the deltas, mm -hmm. the events, Right. as the means to recreate the command model. So what event sourcing really from that perspective states is that you're sourcing a model based on the events mm -hmm. it has published himself. Okay. And I'm saying okay. it very specifically because yeah. you're sourcing your own based on your events. I see. So a command model would never handle events from other command models, ah. from other aggregates, because those aren't used to rehydrate themselves. I Those see. aren't deltas it has published. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting and really important too, because we want to make sure that we have, a, a, as you mentioned, a single source of truth. And that basically comes down to really being specific about storing these events and um, having them in our, um, uh, in our basically event model, correct? So that we can come back to it if need be and so one of the subjects that um, came up when I was talking to a couple of our other developers was that, so we want to keep events as something that happened in the past. They're immutable. We shouldn't change them. What if we have to? Is what there a way? <laughs> yes. Well, and why um... would we have to? <laughs> why would we have to? Well, um, one of the important pillars of when you're, thinking back of doing DDD as well, is that your model will change over time. You're, you're in conjunction with your developers and with your domain experts, you're conceiving what the model is mm -hmm. and things like the operations you can do and the things which happen, the events are part of that domain. Right. So those might change over time. Um, so you need to have some form of freedom that you can change old events to newer formats. Now, uh, from a conceptual stance, um, you wouldn't change events ever, okay. essentially. Yeah. This is, um, no you're storing those in events right. in a thing called an event store and it's, well, it's history, right? It yeah. has happened. Yeah. Uh, as much as I'd like to change things, uh, bad things I've done in the past or stupid things I've done, right. that's not something I can do. Sure. It's just not conceivable because yeah. we haven't invented time travel yet. <laughs> uh, maybe you will never, but um, granted, taking that stance, you would argue that uh, when you're using an event store to rehydrate your command model, your query model, you would arguably do the same. But we're all, or some of us might be, maybe others who are listening aren't. Uh, I'm, I'm going to assume we're all developers, yeah. uh, maybe from a theoretical stance or a practical one, but yeah. still, um, you know that those things are stored. So you actually do have the power to change them. However, from a conceptual stance, I would still argue you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't update them. So instead, the framework provides a means to resolve this, where you can change old versions to newer versions on the fly as they are needed. Yeah. So you aren't 
changing the actual stored value. Mm -hmm. You're changing it to mirror more current ideas of what your domain looks like. Right, right. Um, the, the way the framework calls this is an upcaster. Sure, uh, going from version zero and upcasting it to version one and then going to version two, that's mm -hmm. a fort. Um, yeah, so this is how we resolve that. Cool. I know there are different opinions out there, uh, yeah. which is fine. This is the choice uh, the actual framework at least makes. Right. It doesn't mean, uh, although I'd, I'd be very specific about never changing events, it doesn't mean that there might be scenarios where you have to. Oh, Maybe you have had made a very terrible decision in your or aggregate design in the mm -hmm. size of your aggregates, for example. So the number of events which belong to a given aggregate to recreate it, uh, or you have so many of these upcasters that it mm -hmm. becomes a performance bottleneck. You need to solve those things. And then comes the time, if that m might occur, that you hit those roadblocks that you and your team, so not just the developers, but again, also the domain experts. You want to have everybody in there. Everybody is aware of the system. Mm -hmm. You need to make a decision that are these old events we published one year, two years, right. 10 years ago, do we need to keep them in that format mm -hmm. or can we move them over to a newer one? I see. So are we going to actually make an actual change? This must be a very conscious decision if right. you're going to do this. Again, this is where these upcasters will help. Because mm -hmm. first you build those things because you're doing things on the fly and that's fine. And a certain moment you think, okay, I need to cut them over. And then you're just going to use your upcasters to read from an old store and publish mm -hmm. to a new one. And that's one of the but, really cool things because then you don't have to really mess with the entire application. And that's what uh, I think what we talk about microservices, right? When we say you can actually pick parts and... Um, tweak them as you need to in the future, right? For instance, if you're having a, uh, an aggregate has mentioned that's becoming too big and too complex, then you can take that version, update that ver version, which is upcasting, and then create a new version, correct? Yeah, yeah, you're Is going to the right thing. angle. Am I on the right no, no, yeah, 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 you're, you're, you're fine. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to add a, a specific thing yes, here please, because please. especially the, the microservices point of it all is... Mm -hmm. um, this wasn't how uh, how Allard at least conceived Axon Framework from the start, because well, in 2010, uh, when it started off, microservices wasn't really a thing. You yeah. were just making nice, cleanly segregated monoliths. That mm -hmm. was the intent. Right. Uh, but as we, it was doing everything through the focus of messages already, using dedicated command messages and event messages and query messages, um, distributing that segregating those things out right. became was very natural to do a very sure. natural approach to take well this essentially means that your messages those are the core api those are the language that that is the language your application speaks with the outside world right, right. so if that is change incrementally you're being specific about what you can use and what you send out to the rest of the world <sighs> how it's done under the covers how big your command model is, how small it is, or how your query models answer that thing, or how that's stored, right. you could indeed change that. Um, so this is a, a thing, I'd, I'd like to add another concept here, if you don't mind. I yes, hope no, we're not. Please. That's why we're talking it. about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. But um, I'm, I'm always, I can, I can go on and on, and I'm always a bit <laughs> no, scared if I'm making it too... 
that's why specific, I love talking you know? about this stuff All with right. you because yeah, you're you're very knowledgeable, so it's it, it's helpful. Yeah, please. Do. Awesome. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm happy about that. Thanks. Um, what, one of the things I just stated is that Axon initially was uh, just from a nice, cleanly segregated monolith perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, when the microservices hype started four years ago, I think mm -hmm. this is actually when we saw that doing things like Seekress and DDD and event sourcing right. became more important because it was a very nice stepping stone to modeling those separate services as well. Mm -hmm. And this added notion of having messages already at the basis of it all, what mm -hmm. Axon Framework did, right. was a very nice means to actually pull apart this monolith. Now, yeah. I'm saying pulling apart because we suggest to do a evolutionary approach to microservices. Uh, that it's was not, another question of mine. Yeah, what yeah, is that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. It's not the destination. Right. It's a journey. It's a journey. It's a very nice <laughs> tagline, I think. But uh, being a bit more specific, what we suggest is that you first make a nicely segregated single application containing mm -hmm. everything you need up to that point mm -hmm. in the form of a, a minimal viable product, so to say. Mm -hmm. um, and as you proceed in modeling your domain further and adding new concepts, mm -hmm. you might see that this portion of the application, well, that's actually justifies to have its own team to build on because okay. you have, uh, your team is growing, you're going up to 30 people and it's not manageable anymore to have 30 people on a single repository. Uh -huh. So a non-functional requirement like that could be a very reasonable scenario to extract that component. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to keep that freedom of being able to extract those components, right. the most important thing is that you're using these messages under the covers because mm -hmm. those messages do not care whether when you're sending such a message, whether the other component is right next to it or is in the USA somewhere else. Ah. It will just use a, a command bus or a message a bus, so to say, to send it over the wire. And it's that bus who, which knows where to send it to. So mm -hmm. the component sending a message and the other thing handling it, they are not aware where one another are. This, this idea, another concept, uh, I hope I'm, again, not loading it too no, much. That's... Location transparency, which really yeah, is a yeah. networking basics um, where where this is important that when you're a component should not be aware of nor make any assumptions of the other components location. And if they don't, you can just pull them apart. It doesn't matter. They, 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 they can sit next to each other. They can sit in entirely different regions and it will keep working. So um, also from a perspective where, where we started this uh, long thread of mine, uh, <laughs> where we segue <laughs> into when you're upcasting and when you need to change your aggregate, for example, you could just create this new component, which can also ingest those operations and you can change it under the hood to be the new format and you can switch it over as the mm -hmm. need arises, for example. No, that's great um, because I think you, you went through a really, um, uh, nice explanation as a whole and actually answered a lot of the questions that I had. So <laughs> thank you. This is great. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to ask you about location transparency and messaging and uh, command and query buses. Yeah, so I'm, I'm very, very happy that you mentioned all of that. Um, so if you were to, um, I don't know, say there's one thing that you really wish you had time to add to the framework, what would that be? That you haven't had what a chance to do it. <laughs> yes. Um... What would that be? One of the things I would think would be very nice. So it's going back to this upcaster bit. Mm -hmm. um, 
the current upcast is really work for the entirety of the event stream. Okay. Um, if you want this to work for a specific aggregate stream, mm-hmm. so this transitions over when you're uh, refactoring your model, it needs to be split into or merge certain command models. Right. Um, that's not very nicely supported at this stage. Ah, and nice. I think that's a missing thing. Nice. So although I'm explaining this concept and it is doable, mm-hmm. yes, I'm certain it's doable. Mm-hmm. I've seen people do this. I've helped people doing this. Um, it's not overly easy. I think we can provide a very nice API for this. So I okay. very much want to go that direction. On top of that, this brings me to another point, which would be even even deeper down the, the backlog, I think. Uh, yeah. That would be a, um, Axon Framework provides test fixtures. So I for those who yeah. notice, you can do a given when then scenario for your aggregates, for example, which is very helpful because you think about the once after these events have happened, then if I send this command, I expect these events to occur. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, such a form of test fixtures, I think it would be very beneficial for upcasters as well. Okay. So that you can easily test whether the logic you've created to go from one version to another mm-hmm. actually works. I, I have I have built tests like these for clients and each time it was a new incremental form of this and it looked so much like a thing the framework should have. But yeah. yeah. So I'm, on our I'm, next uh, meeting, I'm going to nudge everybody like, Upcast with people. Stephen <laughs> yeah, needs a little a bit of one. quiet time to work on this. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think it would be a really really nice feature because I have heard a lot of the uh, uh, the developers who actually participate in our trainings they talk about it. So that's one of the things that they're all interested in. It's um, it's the upcasting and also the the snapshots that they they always want to know more about. So those are the two things yeah, right. that. Yeah, yeah. That, that we always get questions on. So I think that that would be a really really nice feature. Now I yeah. know. Um, maybe we can do it for version 5.0, you know, <laughs> Who knows? put it on the plans. Um, so what kind of, uh, do we have any new features actually coming to Axon Framework? Because I think we're working on a, on a new release at some point in the hopefully near future. Yes, we're, we're currently working on getting a 4.4 out, mm-hmm. out of the door. Um, from a framework perspective, uh, one thing which has been left on the backlog for very long is uh, for those who use uh, Spring, Spring Boot as well, yeah. you might be aware that you have Spring Boot DevTools. Mm-hmm. That's a, a dependence you can add to your project that it automatically uh, starts it up again if you've made changes. Um, that wasn't supported through the framework just yet, wow. and now it is. Which is awesome. <laughs> which is, and I which, can tell you that development... because I kind of worked on it a little bit yesterday. So that's, <laughs> I'm excited about it. Yeah. Makes it a lot quicker. That's very nice. Um, alongside that, we did some improvements when it came to to setting up snapshots and filtering certain snapshots for your mm-hmm. command model. Uh, those things are in there. Um, but the majority of it is a lot of uh, quality of life changes right now. Right. So uh, major new or bigger things than the things I've just discussed would likely be postponed to 4.5. I see. That's what I currently see. Gotcha. Uh, but that's uh, that's okay. We, we we shifted a little how much we do for framework and how much we do for server. Uh, this this main release we did a bit more for server, yeah. which is uh, which yeah. is fine, I think. Which is which is a good thing as well because yeah. um, I know that a lot of people are um, trying the server out as well. So that's that's definitely something nice to. Uh, add a couple of uh, features to that as well. Um, 
we did touch really quickly on snapshots. So um, I am I am interested to know a little bit more about it. Of course, we uh, we don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. But if you were to sort of put it in a nice little package, what, what would you say a snapshot is and why is it useful? A snapshot is like taking a picture of, of a model at a certain moment in time. Mm -hmm. uh, but especially from the framework's perspective, from Axon, okay. uh, we provide all the means to do this for a command model right now. Ah, okay. Because from the command model's perspective, so the aggregate, it's uh, we can be very specific that we want to do event sourcing, for example. Right. Now, it's, it's here when you're having hundreds and hundreds of events mm -hmm. that loading might take too long because you need mm -hmm. to load all those events. So if you take a picture of your aggregate at that moment in time and use that, yeah. it's just a quicker way to mm -hmm. load your command model. Mm -hmm. This is not to say that the idea of a snapshot wouldn't make sense for your query models. Right. It's just not that Axon Framework provides this mm -hmm. because we do not have a, a query model annotation to sure, automatically yeah. load those things for yeah, you. Yeah, because as we talked about it before, it's really up to the user what kind of... What kind of query they want yeah, to because they have so much freedom in the types exactly. of databases we they use, and implementing all of those that would be ooh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would be a bigger project that we want to yeah. tackle right now. Yes, definitely. Um, anything else that you think might be beneficial for this uh, more of a broader topic that that we discussed? I, I do have so many questions, and and it's really cool uh, getting this chance to to talk to you because. We did talk about some of the stuff that I wasn't planning on talking about, but but I think they're they're really helpful for me specifically, and for maybe other people who are listening to, uh, is uh, useful to really have that understanding and sort of get a better uh, overall view of what we're trying to do with the framework, as well as um, helping my understanding and uh, hopefully other people's uh, on exactly how, uh, why we use DGD and event sourcing and, uh, you know, the CQRS. So that's, that's really all great, great information that I like to get into a little bit more detail um, of those topics, but uh, hopefully it's uh, for, um, we can do it at a later time because that would be a bit lengthier I'd, topic. <laughs> yeah. I'd be very much up to doing another chat like this just awesome, to, to yes. proceed on a more specific uh, form. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. sure. That's uh, completely fine. And Stephen, do yeah. you uh, anything else that you want to add? Um, I don't know. I think one of the key takeaways of what we try to do with Exxon Framework, but mm -hmm. essentially with with all the products, is um, one of the things that you do with with DDD. I feel is that you focus on your your domain, on your business, right. on solving that, mm -hmm. and that's what we try to provide or do with Axon Framework as well, right. that you can focus on your business problem. Exactly. And that's that. And, and yes, yeah, and, and make it work and make it fast and make it efficient and that you can, that you have all these knobs and bolts only when you actually need them. You don't have to define them up front. Doing those optimizations is something you can do after it because the framework does provide them. Nobody is requiring you to use them. Sure, so you can just focus your on your... Yeah, the flexibility, yeah. I think. That's, uh, I, I always like to be, uh, yeah, that's a very strong mantra for me when we're building a Axon framework. Yeah, that, that should be the focus. Yeah, absolutely. Then that makes sense. So that's a, that's a huge thing. I think um, for me personally in the past where um, I came up with an idea for an application and I wanted to use it and all of a sudden you find yourself in uh, this huge complex issue that you're you're trying to make your application more organized but then 
you don't know where to start. So that's that's really good to and that was one of the things that uh, the main thing that really uh, attracted me to the framework itself and to the concept of uh, domain driven design and um, being able to really uh, segregate between the commands and queries and then uh, event sourcing. So that uh, that's really great that you uh, helped me understand it and touched more into a little bit of a, a more detailed conversation on that. And I think it's worth mentioning um, as we're getting towards the end that a lot of the information that we talked about today uh, is available on our website and a lot of it is also available. Correct. We have fantastic documentation uh, that I think is really helpful if somebody is just trying to uh, explore a little bit of Axon and see if it's something that might be useful for them uh, that they want to explore a little bit more of. I think uh, we do have great documentation on that as well. So I will uh, make sure I put those uh, links in our um uh, yep. uh, uh, episode today so that uh, everybody can have access to it. But I really, really appreciate your time. I know you're super duper busy and I really That's always okay. enjoy talking to you. So thank you so much for making the time for me today. Sure thing, Sarah. It was a pleasure. Thank I'm you always, so uh, much. very keen on doing things like this. And I'd awesome. like to add a single thing with a couple of yeah. minutes we have left. Um, you started with those quick quick start videos, right? Yes. And I know there is some request for doing more. I'd very much like to do more. Yes. But for people listening to this podcast, if there is a way to drop in the comments that, yes, I am interested, I'd very much like to hear that because that means I can prioritize that even further. So if you're listening and you feel, yes, this is valuable, just, uh, just nudge me. And also to add to that real quick, uh, we do do the fast lane trainings uh, and they're done once or twice a month. They're, they're completely free. Uh, you can just True. sign up for them, um, get on board and uh, they're, they're quick, uh, broad explanation of uh, what we just talked about today, um, as well as some of the more detailed parts of the framework. So I think that might be really useful if somebody's uh, really interested in this topic to um, to go and find out, I will make sure that uh, we have the link as well. Um, they're usually one hour of explanation, and then there's a little bit of exercise that a participant can take time at the second half of the training to uh, do uh, that exercise. And if they have any questions, they can uh, write on the spot, communicate with you or whoever is doing the training. And we also have a, a fantastic uh, set of panelists who are there answering questions. So. We're always available. And then, uh, Stephen, just to um, uh, conclude the the helpful part of this conversation, sure. uh, do we have um, other places that people can ask questions, like um, Google Group, uh, a Stack Overflow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those works. We have a dedicated uh, Google Group for Exxon. Mm -hmm. Uh, which we we try to track, but uh, it's also a, a, a nice package with concluding a lot of other information of older requests as well. Right. But Stack Overflow is also something we monitor that would be the preferred modes. I know you can create issues on GitHub, mm -hmm. uh, but those are really for, for bugs and features. So please, <laughs> your questions on Google Group. On Google Group, Stack exactly. Overflow. Yes. And also uh, uh, Twitter too, because we are very active on Twitter as well. So if, if people have any yeah, questions, yeah, yeah. you know, feel free to uh, drop us a line. Uh, that would work. Myself, Stephen is always there. Alart is there. So we can always uh, help anybody who has uh, questions, concerns, comments, suggestions. Yeah, we'd, we'd love it all. True. Yeah. Awesome. Exactly. Thank you so much again. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you, Sarah. The same for you, of course. Ciao. Talk to you soon. All righty. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed my talk with Stephen. 
Please join me next time as I talk about the specifics of an aggregate. Until then, have a great time and happy coding.